Hi, I'm Leanne Blaney, adventure coach, speaker and award-winning author. Welcome to the Ignite Your Life podcast, where we are having conversations about what might be holding you back and how to move forward to achieve your dream life. Come along on a journey and set yourself up by having freedom in your choices, becoming grounded and centered and learn how to speak from the heart. For more information, go to leanneblaney.com. Let's ignite your life. At 27 years old, Adele Anderson survived a plane crash. That near-death and life experience changed her path and led her on a deeper journey of discovery that she now shares so she can help others. Adele is an NLP trainer, homeopath, death doula, Akashic reader and grief coach and has the honour of helping those seeking to ease their painful losses and amplify happiness. Hi Adele, welcome to the Ignite Your Life podcast. Thank you, Leanne. I'm so happy to be here. You're really welcome, and I'm excited to talk about our theme of helping the transition between life and death. But first, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today? Sure. At 27, I was in a plane crash, a small plane that I was a passenger in crashed and flipped in water. And as that happened, I began to drown. And going through a separation of my mind and body, um, I had this perspective shift where I was floating somewhere above, entering a different form of being without a physical body and I could see myself quite clearly down there struggling in that plane and yet where I was it was you know I was perfectly okay I I was serene I was filled with this feeling of unconditional love and I kind of thought well this is easy (laughs) but that's a bigger story I obviously survived the plane crash it it was actually a choice which is something that is familiar with a near-death common within a near-death experience And at that point, I became quite easily, I was easy to talk to if you were dying. And so that became normal for a part of my personality. And then a year ago, my husband died. And losing him um, sort of crushed those ideas of what life after death really was. Um, My beliefs in, you know, what had happened to me, it, it all seemed to fade because I was so stuck in the pain. And then, you know, moving through with the tools that I already had and then needing to deepen my spiritual connection to find that full body, mind and soul recovery um, really brought me full circle back into um, bridging both spirituality and science. And I can talk about all types of references about life after death and what you believe to be true or not, but there's a lot of pretty smart people out there that are telling us that it's irrefutable evidence at this point. Thank you for sharing that with us Adele because it's you know quite a traumatic event I can imagine that you've been through. Is it interesting talking to other people when you start bringing up that this is what you do that you talk about the transition between life and death and and then you start you know hitting up against that wall of some people's beliefs? Um, Completely. Being a death doula is not really about um convincing people about belief systems it's really about listening to where they're at what their belief systems are and if they want to explore those differences but one of the things that is empowering for me is that I'm not afraid of death and I think that doulas have to confront their own mortality and what that means to them to die in order to be comfortable with the conversation and that's really where my journey has helped me. It is interesting, isn't it? Because 
we do have that conversation out there sometimes about death and I do listen to that because I'm quite interested myself in hearing what people's views on it are. But there's a lot of fear around death, isn't there? And I can imagine that if you're feeling that fear that you need to make sure that you were okay with how, you know, your beliefs and, and where you are to be able to assist others. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been talking about life after death for a long time, but being a death doula is really new to me. I just felt that I, my business was organically moving. My life coaching business was organically moving to helping people that were grieving because I was already working with people's trauma and removing those deep, emotional, painful life events. But then after Willis died, people started saying, well, my aunt is grieving. Can she come to you? My daughter isn't getting over the, the death of her mother. Can, she, can I send her to you? And so I just felt I needed more tools. And so becoming a death doula was part of that. Um, engaging in, you know, just the community around death and dying and what that actually looks like and how we can support people through this painful transition for the people that are left behind, but also bringing comfort to people that are facing, you know, a life-threatening illness or a life-limiting illness. Is it something that you see that people do get stuck in that grieving process and they do need that help to actually move forward out of that? Because it's a bit, a bit like a cycle, isn't it? They can't seem to get themselves out of it. Mm-hmm. The solutions are not found in the mind, and that's not me that I'm talking psychology, um, because the, the grief itself contains a whole lot of emotion. You know, it's overwhelm, it's anger, it's frustration, it's rage, it's um, denial, it's, you can go through the, the list is like 30 deep, and they're all very negative in nature. And so when we have a negative psychology active within us, It limits our ability to think, but also the solution itself is not, can't change the fact, right? So if we think of it in a logical way with our neocortex and trying to solve the idea of grief, um, you know, what are we grieving? We're grieving the loss of of a person or a loss of a thing, which cannot be changed. And so through everything that I've learned, and it sounds harsh is we have to bypass the fact and heal the emotion and we actually even bypass the label of the emotion and heal the energy of emotion with people that you know been coming to you because obviously you know when you've been through something yourself you do get people coming to you because you've been through it and you can get that connection does it take them a little while to open up? Because I know it is something that it can be difficult. And as you say, there's a lot of emotion there. Sometimes they're okay with the fact of something, but they just can't deal with their emotions. So does it take them a while to get through that process? Like what sort of process would you run people through? Um, well, two parts to that question. Um, people seem to connect quite easily when you've had a like a similar experience or an experience of this type of loss. A catastrophic loss is the loss of a parent, a child, or a, or a spouse. And so it's a club you don't want to be in, but when you're in it, there's a lot of situations that you find yourself in that no one else has actually had. And I myself was completely clueless before the death of my husband, where I'd had girlfriends that had lost their husbands. And I thought, I could understand what they were going through and I didn't have a clue. Like it's beyond anything you can imagine. And so 
you know, people don't know how to deal with it. They don't know the language to use. They don't think, so what do they say? They, they ask you, are you okay? <laughs> and then and you're like, no, I'm not okay. But then what happens is you as the grieving person ends up trying to make them feel okay for being so awkward. <laughs> You know, and it's a funny thing. It's a funny thing because they're, you know, they come to you say, thinking that they're going to support you. And here you're supporting them saying like, you know, it's okay. I know that you don't really know what to say to me. But, you know, what I always say is don't ask a question. Simply, um, you know, say, I've been thinking about you today. Or I hope you had a good sleep last night. You can simplify it and not ask the question if they're okay. So that was the first part of the question, and I forgot the second. <laughs> I suppose that's sort of going to where we're going. Uh, what I was asking is like, what sort of process? It, I suppose to start with, you want to be there to be that support, but not you answer that not asking a question, which is a great tip because quite often we don't. If we haven't been through it, we just don't know what to say because you just don't know how to relate to it. But you know, just to try and help somebody through, what else could you actually do do for them? Well, it's it's actually in the silence. Yeah, you know, holding space for someone is invaluable because they might be going through a range of emotions within, you know, five to 10 minutes. You really do sort of drop in and out, especially in, in the early stages of grief. You're, you're in a bit of a roller coaster and, you know, it's, it's a bit of relief in, in a way that grief is a, a very heavy energy. And when we have this levitation, whether it's through laughter or through, you know, humor, you don't use, lose your sense of humor when you're grieving unless you're in a deep, deep state of depression. But, um, you know, just having somebody there just to hold your hand or um, say nothing. Just just listen to what they're to what they have to say or not. It's OK to be silent. You know, and just allow them to be present in their pain and you as a witness. That is one of the most powerful things that you can do is hold mm. space. Yeah, I love that. So with some people, um, I know when, when grief is fairly new and it's fairly raw, people, there's a lot of support around you. But as time goes on, do you find that other people become less supportive and then that person still needs that support but is just not getting it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. You know, it's um, not necessary. It's, it's, if you could imagine having company all the time, <laughs> it's exhausting, right? So there, there is the blessing of having the support around you, but it also requires energy. If someone is coming into your home, and maybe you want to make tea for them, or you want to put out you know, some cheese and crackers or whatever it is, you might not have a lot of energy to do that. So other, you know, close friends and family, they'll just come in and they'll do that kind of stuff for you, which is good. Not always having to visit. So sometimes it's just being in the room, being that other person in the room is great. And then, um, yeah, I, I call the first year first some casseroles. I'm still in my first year. Um, casseroles have run dry. <laughs> It's a little harder for me to still cook, but I always say the first year is about healing your heart, nourishing your soul. So first some casseroles. I have other girlfriends that are in their second and third years. And one of my girlfriends, when, I, when Willis first passed, she said she was in her sixth year, but she said the second year was the toughest. And I was like, oh, 
That's not, not really what I wanted to hear. But she said, people forget. People forget. And they think you're okay because it's been a year. And so you, you drop into a bit more loneliness and you're still grieving. And yet people think that you've, the, the word is moved on. <laughs> and we never really move on. We might rise out or rise up or we move forward with, you know, I, I call myself the wife of an angel. Um, it's not, it's a part of me. Not that I want to be a, I'm not going to be a pool at the latest dinner party, <laughs> you know, the fun person in the room, but, you know, it's part of who you are and it really is rocket fuel. If we can transform that heavy energy, the amount of personal growth that we transition or transform ourselves through is, is absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, I'm, I'm a different person than I was a year ago. And, you know, I thought that I knew a lot of stuff and had, you know, a, a level of spirituality, but I, I really have grown through this deep emotional process. Yeah, I love that because it really is true that we, we're not the same person as we move through different stages of our lives, let alone going through different events or experiences and even, you know, traumatic events, they will change you as a person. And I think having people like you out there is something that we need to sort of get out a bit more. Like you don't hear about a lot. I know here in Australia, you don't hear about death doulas a lot, but I think it's something we need to talk about and need to stop having this fear and saying, get over it. Um, you know, oh, it's been 12 months now. Surely you've moved on, those type of things. We need to be looking at things a little bit differently uh, around death, I think, because there's a lot of fear and a lot of, you know, I don't know, a bit, bit of shame around it too. So if somebody was like, you know, you said you had friends that were saying, oh, I've got somebody who would be great talking to you. What would you say that a death doula does like to actually put it out there so people know, oh, I think I need a death doula. Hmm. Well, death doulas come in at many different stages and, and you can sort of specialize in different areas. Because my work previously was in neurolinguistics programming, so working with emotional um, baggage, trauma, whatever you might want to call changing behavior, it was natural for me to say, okay, how does that work when someone's grieving? Because it really is that case. But grieving happens long before somebody dies. Mm -hmm. And death doulas don't necessarily all work with people that are terminally ill. It can be somebody who, who is just wanting to have the things in place for a very organized transition. So it can be people from 50 to 70 um, that are looking for putting their healthcare directives in order, making sure that they have a plan of what they want to happen if they were to get ill or if they were to die in an accident. Um, who's going to take care of different things? Is there a will in place? What are the, the laws as in, in your province or in your state or your country? You know, you, you can die at home and yet 80% of the people don't die at home and, and yet 80% of the people want to die at home. There's things that you need to know. Like if you're an organ donor, then you probably have to die in a hospital because it, it has to be a medically um, 
you know, brain dead, keep the respiration going. There's things that have to be in place if you want to be an organ donor. So, you know, if someone's terminally ill, we can get into these conversations. Well, what is the most important? Do you want to die at home? And possibly the body isn't to the ability to be an organ donor. Maybe there might be certain things. So then it might not come into play, but these sort of things bring people distress. And what we want to do is we want to create an environment where we take away a lot of the, um, the fear and the discomfort and the, and the not knowing what to happen. When someone is dying, they think differently. Um, which I experienced from with my husband, uh, just going through and also there's a lot of stress in the happening. So I remember when, he, when we did his, his DNR, when he got to the stage where it was do not resuscitate. And he was in a lot of pain one day. And I said to him, do you want to go to the hospital? And he's, and he was quite upset. And he said to me, well, they're not going to do anything anyway. And I was like, no, hon, what do you mean by that? He says, well, I signed the DNR. Well, the DNR means that when you are not able to advocate for yourself and there's no one in the room that will advocate for yourself, you've set up guidelines of how you would like that handled. But up to the point where you're able to say, no, I don't want that anymore. And it's not written in stone. You can change it at any time. So just walking through this with someone and having some of these things in place is a sense of calm. It um, makes you feel like you're in control when, you know, things are heading towards and, and it's a growing industry. A hundred percent of us are going there. <laughs> so, you know, it's just to, to put the conversation out there. It's called a positive death movement so that we can have comfort in the choices that we're going to make or that will be made um, at a certain in the future because we've already planned for it yeah it's a, it's a good thing to do to take that distress away isn't it because it can be quite distressful when you've got to make decisions when you're you are thinking differently aren't you because you've got something totally different happening and it's better not to have to worry about that sort of stuff so I can definitely see where you'd come in there so with I mean at the very beginning you were talking about you know your event where you're in a plane crash and I suppose it's just something to end off with is if people were more interested in finding out about this transition of where, or with you actually seeing yourself out of body, do you get a lot of questions about that as well? Well, people are very interested in that story. And I, I do that a lot on podcasts because um, it was quite fascinating and I learned a lot. There was a lot of insight, life lessons in that, in that work. But um, beyond that, I ended up having a lot of interviews with people who had had near-death experiences and there's over 50 years of clinical research for NDEs. And there is a, a list of sort of common things that people that have NDEs exhibit. Cognitive functioning well after the brain dead, um, when the heart has stopped, when respiration ceased. Um, being able to know, like, who are the people in the room? What are they doing with me? What tools were they using? Describing the tools. We can go through a whole, a whole bunch of it. Um, the other thing that's really common is a feeling of unconditional love, being in, in a light tunnel, possibly feeling um, past loved ones around you or guides, um, possibly a tunnel that um, is leading you somewhere, uh, being in a field of, flower, of wild flowers. 
there's so many common things and, and, you know, they talk about, well, is it a certain chemical in the brain that is inducing these images? And yet cognitive functioning is quite different from imagination. And so, you know, there's too much evidence now to suggest that it's just um, a chemical within the brain. And then there's more studies coming out. Well, of course, if you look back at, you know, the major philosophers through thousands of years, I mean, life and death has been a, a very, you know, people are always musing what happens after we die. And, you know, so I think everyone on the planet wonders. And yet we still question when science has come to the state where we're beyond, where we're already beyond. And so then we have to look at why are our belief systems embedded? So we can look at, you know, Einstein, um, who, you know, told us that time and space is just a persistent, ever persistent illusion or something like that. Um, that is simply our belief systems that are holding us back. If you look at um, Robert Lanza, who is the the next stage of quantum theory where Einstein used physics as his main formula for space and time. And it didn't always work out depending on the gravitational pull of the earth, where they were taking these measurements of time and space from. But now Robert Lanza, who has a, um, a theory called biocentrism, which replaces uh, biology, puts biology into the formula rather than physics. And now all of these theories seem to work well and so again you know the conclusion is is that there is no time there is no time there is no space so therefore there is no difference between life and death that eternity is it has to be that way mm. and and so you know when when we look at there's so many different studies that are happening we can look at different of course different levels of people that have intuition whether you want to call it mediumship or clairvoyancy clairaudience clair you can go through all the clairs some of these people that have that have really honed these skills are being studied at, at scientific um you know we're so scientifism <laughs> You know, so everything has to be proved and quantified. And we are at a stage where we can quantify a lot. And so it's no longer that we just have to lean on faith. You know, the bridge between science and spirit, mm. I think, has been bridged. It's, yeah. it's that we're maybe not ready to accept or some people maybe aren't ready to accept the possibility because, you know, when you see a cadaver, <laughs> it seems pretty final. And yet if you look at, um, you know, the actual protoplasma or whatever you want to say the body is made up of, they say an average human cadaver can light the entire U.S., every light bulb in the U.S. for two and a half years. So it's, it's a lot of energy. And, you know, we identify through science, through nature, that everything on the planet is energy, and that includes us. And so fundamental law of the universe, you know, energy cannot be created or destroyed, we simply change its form. And so why, why do we question um, that we also simply change form? Mm. And and from my experience and through people that have had NDEs, we just move on without a physical body, but we're completely cognitively aware of who we are. 
and um, you know our past and mm. actually <laughs> wow it's absolutely fascinating I love it Adele well thank you so much for talking today about this because it is a fascinating subject and definitely one I think we need to talk more about and get more death doulas out there because I think it's a really you know it, it's a great area that we need to have people in. And I think you're doing a great job. So thank you so much. If our listeners want to contact you or find out more about what you do, where's the best place for them to go? My email is yes, just Y-E-S, at lifecoachadele.com. And you can find me on Facebook, Adele Anderson. I'm on LinkedIn, Adele Anderson. And I'm happy to have a conversation. It'd be great. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Igniters, what an important topic to talk about. Adele is so amazing sharing her story and the important role of the death doula. If you want to know more about Adele, find her on LinkedIn or Facebook. For more on getting that balance into your life so that you can change your unhelpful behaviours and habits, go to my website, leanneblaney.com.